This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. You'll often hear people refer to chickens as a gateway animal. This saying comes from the term gateway drug. A gateway drug is a habit-forming drug. While it may not be itself addictive, it could lead to the use of other addictive drugs. A gateway drug is a negative thing because it leads you down a path where you become dependent on a substance to give you happiness, you become enslaved to it, it can ruin your life. But a gateway animal, like a chicken, well, that has a completely different path that it can take you down. A gateway animal can also create habits. It can be a habit-forming endeavor, but one that leads you down a lifestyle of self-sufficiency, of providing for yourself and for your family. And that's exactly what chickens have done for many homesteaders. It's where we started on our homestead with just a few chickens. And it's how John from the Growing Farms podcast and Farm Marketing Solutions wound up becoming a full-time farmer. In today's episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about how chickens are a great gateway into the world of raising your own meat. They led me down a path of becoming totally self-sufficient with my family's meat. And they led John Siskovich down a path of now being a full-time farmer and author all about chickens. Are you thinking about raising your own meat? Chickens are a great place to start, and we're going to get into that topic in today's episode of Homestead. The world that we live in is a crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. We can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteading. Before we dive into our subject about raising meat chickens, I just wanted to give you a couple updates on the Homesteady show. We are testing out doing a weekly podcast, which is a huge undertaking, uh, but we're really excited to give it a try. We've had so much support for the podcast through the Homesteady Pioneers and all you fans sharing the show and over on YouTube, we figured it was time to test out the idea of doing a weekly show. We're going to do it for two months, and we're going to have you fill out a survey at the end if you're interested to tell us what you thought. One of the most exciting things about doing this weekly show is that we're now hosting a live show every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Go and subscribe to the Homesteady YouTube channel, and you can join us every Tuesday night for live recordings. There'll be interviews, which will be included in the podcast. The accountant mic breakdown will happen live, and we do a Q&A session, which isn't included in this podcast with anyone who joins us for the live event. The first part and the last part of this episode are excerpts from that live recording. So now join me, Accountant Mike, and John Siskovich, our special guest, as we live stream from YouTube talking about meat chickens. 
So I made it through our first big uh, intro without any hiccups. So two thumbs up. <laughs> Long-time listeners of the Home Study Show, you're going to notice a little bit difference in the audio quality of this next clip. I want you to just know that was a little blooper on my part the first night. I forgot to record the audio directly to my computer. So this is not the way the podcast is going to sound for the rest of our two-month trial. It'll be much better quality. But for tonight's episode, you're going to have to deal with a little bit less quality than what you're used to for a little bit of the podcast. I already was a hunter. And so our very first venture into meat chickens started with 10 Cornish crosses. We ordered them from Tractor Supply. We went and picked them up. Uh, we brought them home. And these, these Cornish crosses, they were, uh, they were a strange mix of farm animal and pet. We probably didn't keep that, that strict line of we're raising this for me as well as we should have. You see, these 10 birds were in our basement and we had them in a little kiddie pool. We had wood shavings and the water and the feeder. And we'd go down every day. At the time, I think we had just the two kids. We're up to four now, but who's counting? We had our two kids. We'd go downstairs. We'd see the chicks. Uh, it was during the springtime, and we always have a really bad carpenter ant problem in the spring. So we used to set traps for the ants, and then we would bring them downstairs for the chicks. It was a little gladiatorial event. The ants would go running around, and uh, the chicks would run and gobble them up. And this became a daily routine. It became something that we, uh, we looked forward to. During this live stream, I was explaining to the audience how back when we first started with meat chickens, uh, we had never owned any farm animals for meat. And so this was a very different experience than what I have nowadays. This has been years where I've been raising meat animals to the point where I bring them to the butcher and I sell them to people in the community. Back five or so years ago, when I first got these meat birds, I had never owned an animal that I had planned to raise to the point of butchering. It had only been angling chickens and the family pet. And so the lines were a little bit blurred. To get a glimpse into what was going through my head back then, I read a blog post that I wrote just four weeks before we butchered the chickens. In the blog post, I share what I was thinking about. You can get a glimpse into what it's like to make that step to raising your own meat, having never done that before. This is called The Reality of Meat. And here are just a few excerpts. You can read the whole blog post back at thisishomesteady.com. The first group of chicks we raised this year is now four weeks old, and in another four weeks, they will be ready to be processed. Processed. That's consumer speak for killed. Much of the terminology we use with regards to food has been craftily disguised to hide the reality that the delicious meat we enjoyed for dinner was once a living creature. Beef. It's what's for dinner, not Old MacDonald's cow. Pork, not pig. Processed, not killed. Despite our crafty terminology, the fact remains. All the meat we enjoy was once living. To enjoy a delicious steak, an animal's life must be taken. For most of my life, I was conveniently removed from this reality. By purchasing neatly wrapped, labeled cuts from the supermarket, the animal's existence is ignored. And when the meal was complete, brushing the leftover pieces into the garbage felt as normal as tossing away the plastic the meat came wrapped in. The first step I took towards recognizing the reality came when I became a hunter. But nothing has made this reality clearer than raising my own chickens. As a hunter, I learned about the animals. I studied them. I gained an incredible amount of respect for them. But raising my own chicks has taken this one step further. I have grown attached to them. Many of my friends and family have asked me the question, how can you raise a chick, feed and care for it, and then kill it? The real answer? I don't know. Come back and ask me in another four weeks. Every night I go down, feed my chicks, water them. I check to make sure they're all in the brooder and looking healthy. Tonight I brought them a Ziploc bag full of ants I had caught, a special protein treat my chicks love. Realizing that soon I will have to process the same birds that come running to me for treats hurts my heart a little. And yet, I believe that is how it should be. When we choose to eat meat, we have chosen to end a creature's life. Whether or not we did the deed ourselves, shouldn't that reality 
resonate with us from pasture to plate? Next month, when I sit down and enjoy my first fried chicken dinner, I will be comforted by this reality, not burdened by it. I will remember the good, healthy, and happy life my chicks enjoyed. I will be proud that their reality was a good one. And you can be absolutely sure that not one scrap of my chicken will be thrown out. It's funny looking back and reading this. Now we're at a much different place in life. We have a website where people call us up or put in orders over email. We raise lots of meat chickens every year. We raise and sell our pastured pork. So we're in a very different place. But that's an example of uh, where you may find yourself contemplating this for the first time, saying, you know, I want to do this, but can I? Will I be able to make that step? I guarantee you that you can do it. Everybody can do it. It's, it's hard when you make that connection with those animals and when you're taking care of those animals. Uh, but when you realize what you're involved in, you're giving them a much better life than they would have if they were raised in a CAFO, if they were raised in a factory farm. Uh, you're giving them a more comfortable life than if they were raised in the wild. And that life that you give them is, you're able to do that because they're going to give back to you on what a lot of farmers refer to as that one bad day. Their whole life is nice, it's wonderful, and then they have one bad day where they wind up in your freezer. So you can do this. If you wanna make the leap, what are you gonna need? What's the equipment that you're gonna need? Uh, what is it gonna cost you to get into this? What is it worth? These are the questions that we're going to try to answer tonight. And I have a couple friends with me that are gonna help me uh, figure all this out. So we're gonna take a quick break, cut to a commercial, and when we get back, we're gonna invite on our guests and dive deep into this topic of raising meat birds, and we're gonna answer some of your questions. We'll cut into commercial break, we'll be back in a minute. Hey guys, just a quick break from the show. I wanted to tell you something kind of exciting. It's a new way for you to help support the Homesteady Podcast without spending an extra dime. Next time you're gonna go shopping on Amazon, before you go to Amazon, go to amsteady.com. That's A-M, like Amazon, and steady, like homesteady.com. You'll instantly be forwarded to Amazon's website. But in that millisecond that you're forwarded there, Amazon will log the fact that we sent you there, and we will receive an affiliate bonus should you buy something on Amazon. It costs you nothing extra, not a penny, but a small amount of what you spend will be given to us so we can continue to produce the show that you love at no extra cost to you. Just head on over to amsteady.com, buy whatever you were planning on buying anyway, and we will make a little bit of money, which helps us keep the show going. Every little penny helps. So next time you go shopping on Amazon, remember, am like Amazon, steady like homesteady.com. For our family, chickens were a gateway animal, an animal that led us into growing our homestead to the point where we were raising enough meat for our entire family. For John, of Farm Marketing Solutions, chickens were an entirely different kind of gateway. They were a gateway into a career. John and his wife, Kate, both knew that they wanted to farm, but they had a problem. They didn't own any land. They had just moved into town and they were starting from essentially zero. And by zero, I really mean zero. They had been homeless for about two years. Now, they weren't homeless because of hard times. They chose to live this way. They had taken a cross-country bike trip around the United States, touring farms and craft breweries. This was a life-changing trip, and they knew when they got home that it was time for them to start their own farm. But how do you start a farm from zero? John didn't own any land, and he couldn't. I had no money yeah. or interest in actually owning it. So you're like, I want to be a I have no money. I have no property. I no job. No job. I want to be a farmer. Let's make it clear that I don't recommend this strategy. <laughs> this is not a how to get started in yeah. farming, you know? 
how to start a farm with no money doesn't actually work. But those obstacles didn't stop John. He didn't pay attention to what he didn't have. Instead, he focused at what he did. One of it, I just, I've always had this fascination with chickens, both meat and eggs. Um, I knew that I didn't like processing chickens, but I could do it. And there are very few people who are willing to actually take a life. Um, take a life with meaning and purpose and with a positive end result. But it's still, that's a real, that's a real experience, oh, yeah. you know, when you're going through it. And I had this, for better or worse, through my past years of experience, this skill set that seemed to be, that seemed to put me in the proper place to be a pasture poultry farmer. Cool. To just extend that alliteration. <laughs> um, so it really got into chickens because there was a bunch of vegetable CSAs in the area. We had family in New Milford in this area where we're at now. Uh, it was close enough to the grandmas, you know, yep. close enough where they could visit far enough where they wouldn't drop in uh, and equidistant between yep. the two. And there were vegetable CSAs. There were people selling um, high dollar food in this area. So I knew we were on the cusp of a rich county and an affordable county. Yep. Uh, so there was a market and there was open space over here. No money, no job, no land. John saw only opportunities. And he filled it with something that he knew he could get excited about. I love growing vegetables. They, I just don't, they don't hit that heartstring the way chickens do. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> so the, the broad decision of getting into agriculture was passion-based. Right. It was something that I love. The specific operation and how I structured that then passion-driven choice was more pragmatic. Yeah. And I took the practicalities of my scenario yeah. and shelved the dreams and said, all right, I have a dream. How do I actually make it happen? It has to work on a spreadsheet before it's gonna work on the field. And so it was time to make this idea work. And John did something that he's really good at. Brush your teeth every day, because you'll do a lot of smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I went on Google Maps and looked for open fields, and open fields with houses near them. I printed up a one-pager. One, it has to be one eight and a half by 11, and then a business card. I drove around and knocked on doors. I left those flyers in people's mailboxes. I knocked on doors if there was somebody I thought was home and said, hey, I'm a chicken farmer. All my uh, infrastructure can be mobile. Uh, I would like to operate on your grass, you know, your hay fields here. And because I was so passionate about it, because I was so invested and that had to have been apparent to who I was talking to, I actually fielded several offers of people wanting to, oh, you can have this field, you can have that field. And I got to choose based off of proximity and lease situation where I wanted to operate the farm in the beginning. Not necessarily where I knew it was going to end up long term, but because from the beginning I structured myself to be mobile. You know, these chicken tractors are built to sit on a trailer and drive across town if need be. Um, I knew that I could get started in one place and if I needed to move to another, awesome. but it just came down to beating the pavement, spending long hours, putting some gas money in. John wasn't held back by what he didn't have. He used what he did, a good smile, tons of charisma, and the ability to put together a good plan that would make sense to people standing at the door wondering why this kid was asking to use their field. And it worked to the point where he got to choose. A guy with no money got to choose which property was going to be the right pick for him. Anybody can do this. You can do this. It's not easy. It's not easy to go knock on a stranger's door. It's not easy to put together a really well-written one-pager that's going to convince them that you're not crazy. But anyone can do it. John had no money. He had no job, no references to show. He had a big smile, a good plan, and an unbreakable spirit. And it worked. And one of the smartest things that John did, knowing going into this that he was going to be working on other people's property, not his own, was he came up with the idea for a completely mobile farm one that he could move himself wherever he needed to. You see, as a chicken farmer, your chickens need a house or housing. 
They need fencing. They need to be protected. And if he was going to be moving from property to property, he couldn't build a chicken coop and have fencing there for all the chickens. He needed to be able to pick things up and move them from place to place easily. That's where the chicken tractor idea came in. A chicken tractor is just a movable chicken coop, essentially. Something that the chickens can eat grass while they're sitting in and be protected from predators. And there's a lot of designs out there already for chicken tractors. A very popular chicken tractor design is the Joel Salatin design. It's essentially a very big rectangle that your chickens go into, and there's a roof above them and walls on the sides of them, and you can move it through your yard, and they can eat the grass while they're in there. It's a very popular model. So that's where John started. He built one Joel Salatin chicken tractor. But then he decided to make a change. Where did this design come from? Why didn't you just build a Joel Salatin? I know you did. I so did. Why did you build it, and then why did you make yours? Oh, and I'll say, like, anytime, I, anytime his name comes up, I love the man. Uh, I don't even know if he knows of me or maybe of me loosely. Uh, I've written to him a few times. He's written me back. But um, I started with Joel's uh, chicken tractor design for me because I needed to be mobile. Um, his was harder to put on a trailer and move somewhere else if I needed to. So his wasn't as mobile and I didn't want to bend over as much when I was working with the chickens. So I wanted something more with an approachable roof, but not something that would turn into a sail and blow away in the wind. So the first thing John does is take off the existing roof and make a much taller roof, one that a person could actually walk into and work with the chickens. I had the frame from the bottom, so I ripped the roof off, sized it to my trailer, and then bent some electrical conduit and made it, um, you know, that gothic arch roof yeah. uh, that we have on the design today because at the peak, it's a little over five feet. I can't quite stand up all the way, but you know, my wife and my, you know, a lot of my friends can. So now instead of a big kind of rectangular box-like chicken tractor, you have one that looks like a little house with a gothic roof. Then he had to figure out how he could move this chicken tractor. And so he had to build it to the right dimensions that would allow him to put it on a trailer. Uh, you can buy a used landscaping trailer from a landscaping company, which is exactly what I did. Cool. The footprint of it is six feet by 12 feet. So mine are, you know, five foot eight wide, you know, to, to give me yeah. two inches on either side and like 11 and a half feet long, <laughs> you know, so it fits within that footprint that I can still finagle it in there. Now John had a chicken tractor that was both easy to move and easy to use. Uh, I can walk in, I work with the birds on a daily basis, I can see if anybody's sick, I can see if anybody, you know, see how, if they're doing well, get an idea of how things are flowing. I went through a couple different iterations on feeder and waterer designs of, you know, hanging uh, one side versus in the middle versus the other side, and um, just trial and error, uh, and a lot of Googling, you know, what people do for chicken tractors, and was like, this will work out. Is another great example of how John takes skills and the things that he actually has, doesn't worry about the things he doesn't have, and makes it work. You see, John took all the materials from the Salatin tractor that he'd already built, and then he applied his past experience to help him design a new one. Before John was a farmer, and before he was a homeless biker... I have a design in technical theater and design and construction, so I got a degree in building sets for theater. And theater, when you do technical theater, it's about a designer going, I want the impossible. And as a technician, you go, well, let's make the impossible happen, you know? And you sit down with AutoCAD and drafting and your, you know, design and material. You know, my brothers are engineers, so I also field questions to them. And you leverage your resources to hopefully just land on something that makes you happy. John's time working in theater taught him a couple vital things that got him to this point. He learned how to design things that needed to look good and work good. The lighting design, I'm always aware of how things look. Now, how the way the light is hitting it, how it looks in a photograph, or you know the way it's presented to the audience. Good lighting design, no one ever notices, because if it's bad, you notice. If it's good, it just looks good. I was breaking in a new industry in my area. No one did, no one did plaster poultry in this area. 
it had to look professional. I was trying to sell $6 a pound. $6 a pound is not a small price. So if I'm opening, asking someone to open their pocketbook, I can't look janky. It's got to look like, yeah. you know, Roman army camp. It's got to look great, you know? <laughs> That's a good fit. It does look like you know, a Roman It's got to look classy, yeah. but it's got to be a mix of form and function. Yeah. Uh, and then the technical theater side, um, my professor, Jack Nardi, in the scene shop, taught me how to weld, taught me how to bend conduit, taught me different material strengths for wood and screws and all that theatrical design, the half lap joints that I use in my uh, chicken tractor design, I learned building sets for the theater because everything had to be, you know, think about what we talked about earlier. Everything had to be light, mobile, sturdy, in the theater, it's got to be light because stagehands have to move it. It's got to be mobile because stagehands have to move it. It's got to be sturdy because stagehands have to move it. You know, so this was ingrained in me in a degree, something I hadn't thought of this thoroughly before this conversation, that that's why the chicken tractors are that way because yeah. I'm a theater nerd. John's time as a theater nerd really served him well. His designs work great. And I know this because I've tried to design and build my own chicken tractors. Last year, my son was getting his own chickens, and I wanted a chicken tractor that would be small and light enough for him to move around the farm. And so we came up with our own design, and we spent a couple weeks working with my dad in his shop trying to put something together. And they turned out nice. They're very good-looking, but they're very heavy. He definitely can't move them on his own, which was the whole idea. And they were about $300 in materials to build. John's is half the price, lightweight, easy to work in. It's a great design. It ended up being lighter. The materials ended up being cheaper. It was pretty easy to put together. It's flexible, but sturdy. And uh, I, sound, I, feel, I feel like I sound like a sales pitch now. No, but like these are all the yeah. things that I wanted to see in a chicken tractor. And I was happier with these chicken tractor designs. And I had no intention of writing a book about it or developing farm marketing solutions around you know raising broiler chickens. But as I was selling my business, selling chickens, I got passively through the internet people going, whoa, well, these chicken tractor designs are great. Yeah. You know, where do you buy them? Where do you get the designs? Uh -huh. What do you? And I was like, no, I, I did it out of need. You know, it's like things are invented because people need them. I needed a chicken tractor that suited my situation, so I created it, and that resonated with other people. Whenever you fast forward somebody's life, the story of their success, to 13 or so minutes with a background track of music to keep the story moving, it sounds easy. And when you look at John now, here he's running a really beautiful farm, doing chickens, pigs, they have an orchard, and all kinds of different operations at the farm. He's got a book now where he's selling his chicken tractor plans that people love. And it seems like, boy, this guy went from being homeless to a success overnight. Must be nice. But obviously, that's not how it was. It was a lot of hard work. And pretty much from day one, he did have some trouble. It wasn't all smooth sailing. The, the the very first day I got my very first batch of chicks ever, uh, you know my first farm first batch of chicks. I'm flying high. Went to the post office. They're all in the the back of my car. I'm driving up uh, by that little farm up the road. I blew an oil hose there, right down the road. Leaked out all the oil in my car. The car overheated, and I pulled off on the side of the road. Oh. And it just so happened one of the other guys, who was a friend of the guy I was leasing from, drove by, saw my car. They got a chain in another truck and pulled me to where oh. I could get the chicks out of the truck and into the brooder, and then address my car. Oh man! So you had the chicks in the car. Chicks were peeping in the car as smoke was billowing out of the hood. It was a little bit of a bad start for John. But everything worked out okay. The chicks all survived. And that was his first step towards becoming a full-time farmer, which is what John is now. His advice to you, if you want to start chickens, start them on a homestead scale. Maybe just 10 for your first batch. Chickens are a great way to start down the path of meat in the first place. Chickens for meat are great for a number of reasons for a homesteader. Really great for a number of reasons. The, all their infrastructure can be mobile, so there's not a huge requirement for startup costs. It's a quick turnaround, eight weeks for a Cornish cross. Uh, if you do a couple batches a year and you screw up batch one, you screw up less batch two, you screw up less batch three, you got it by batch four, you know, you can learn really quickly that operation versus 
cow-calf operation where it takes you years to get your breeding lines down and how to read a cow and it, it, there's just it's a longer it's a longer term operation so with pasture poultry I, I've, I've joked that it's the gateway drug to you know pasture protein in general um, because infrastructure is light birds are light it's easy to chase a chicken around versus a, a 1500 pound cow um, that just to goat. keep going, or or a pig, you know, try yeah. to try to catch Any a two hundred and thirty pound pig that doesn't <laughs> want to be caught. So you get the idea. Chickens are a much more easily managed animal. They cost less to get into. They're easier to learn with. They're just a great place to start in the world of raising meat on the homestead, and it's something that you should try. So if you have a small lawn, you can run two or three batches of chickens on your lawn, fertilize your lawn. You can get put food on your table and eat pasture-raised grass-eating chickens and cut out your Scott's fertilizer bill 100% and have a green, lush, suburbia lawn. They don't crow, so they're not invasive. You can grow them in a way that your neighbors never know you have chickens if you do it right. And there's a lot of value. If I'm charging $6 a pound, average four pounds per chicken, if you're raising 25 chickens in one chicken tractor, that's 100 pounds of meat that you get off of two months that would last you all year. You know, 25 birds, if you eat a chicken every other week, or if you run two batches of word, you can eat a, a chicken a week for the entire year off of a minimal investment and it's more nutritious and cheaper than anything you're going to get at the store. If that doesn't get you excited to try raising your own meat birds, I don't know what will. If you want to make the first step into the world of meat, chickens are definitely the way to do it. It's the way we started. If you're going to do this, John has two great resources for you. I say that I'm a chicken expert because I've killed more chickens <laughs> intentionally and unintentionally than most people will ever see in their entire life. The first is the Pastured Poultry Packet. You're going to hear a little bit from this later on in the show, uh, but essentially this takes this whole process of trying to pick out chicks, where to order from, all the way to butcher day, and it breaks it down in a nice, simple, easy-to-use workbook, which you actually get to write in and make notes, and he helps you figure out how to turn this into an enterprise that's profitable, whether you're selling meat or not. And then, of course, the second resource is John's Chicken Tractor Plans, which you can get in his book. We'll have links to both and the write-up back at thisishomesteady.com. If you're a homesteady pioneer, you get 10% off both of these products. Be sure to log in to the Pioneer Library, click on Pioneer Discount section. You'll find all of John's books 10% off. And if you're not a pioneer yet, consider becoming one. Me and John sat and talked for an hour and a half way too much to fit into one show but you can enjoy that entire hour and a half discussion all about raising chickens getting them on your homestead for meat running a chicken business from your homestead that entire hour and a half long interview can be found in the pioneer library there's a video and a podcast So now I know what you're thinking. This sounds like fun, but it's going to be a lot of work. Is it worth it? Well, you know who we have to help us make that decision. I sat down with Accountant Mike, and I got John to join us live on YouTube and Prepper Broadcasting to go over the numbers, what you're going to need, how much is it going to cost you, and see whether or not Accountant Mike would give this whole endeavor a thumbs up. The coolest part is we were able to answer some questions from the audience live. So as you listen to our breakdown, enjoy listening to the breakdown and getting some bonus questions answered. And if you'd like to ask us questions yourself, be sure to join us Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern time for Homesteady Live, the place where you can listen to us podcast and interrupt us to ask a question. Any of you out there who are thinking of making this leap into the world of raising your own meat birds. He's put a great packet together, and I thought this would be a perfect night to sit down, go through the packet, and see what are you going to need, uh, what to expect when getting into this world, and how much this all is going to cost, what can you get from it. But before we dive into this, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about the farm that you run? So I'm on 52 acres here in western Connecticut. Uh, the farm is pretty diversified, not only the the topography and the geography itself, but uh, our operations as well. 
So pasture broilers, not always a good standalone enterprise, but really good as part of your holistic farm picture. So we do uh, chickens for meat and eggs. We do pigs for meat. Uh, we've done sheep in the past. Uh, and then we have vegetables for our farm store. In our two niche products, we have a hop yard, which was the first hop yard in Connecticut uh, in you know, hundreds of years, uh, because we have an on-farm brewery. And then we have a small apple orchard as well, because we have an off-farm distillery. So there's a three-part business with the farm, brewery, and distillery. Distillery is off-site, farm and brewery are on the same 52 acres. So this is Camps Road Farm, for any of you who are wondering what the, what the name, which, where you can find John at. And uh, it's a beautiful place. We spend a lot of time there. I visit John as much as I can. And uh, it's you a treat stand there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And by visit, I mean I visit him in camo with a bow in my hand. <laughs> yeah. But uh, John, how many chickens do you go through every year? How many do you raise for, for your customers and yourself? So it depends on the scale of the farm we want for the year. Our typical number is about 1,200 birds. Uh, I've raised up to 2,400 birds, and that was a good, uh, that range is a good balance for me. Uh, and it, it'll, it'll differ year to year depending on if we're growing the business or if we're growing a different part of the business. But this year, it'll be about 1,200 birds. 1,200 chickens. And I'm guessing that the faces that Accountant Mike is making is because of that number. <laughs> what is with that? Well, it's funny because that's a small number too, you know? Dude. That's nuts. <laughs> so, Accountant Mike, um, yeah. for those of you who don't know Accountant Mike, he lives in the city. Uh, he only comes to the country when I force him to come visit. He is not by any means a country boy, but he does have ex some experience with chickens. Why don't you fill us in a little bit? What is your background with chickens, Accountant Mike? Well, I enjoy eating them. Um, <laughs> no, but actually my... My mom used to raise chickens, Morris, not on the scale that John did. She never raised 2,400 birds a year. She had more like, you know, six. <laughs> and they were much more like pets than anything else. You know, she loved to go talk to them and chat with them and, you know, all that sort of stuff. You do that. It's normal, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so... But that's, that's one of the overlooked uh, most important things on a farm is observation. You know, there's something to that going out and talking to your chickens, even if you're just going out and observing and you're not not feeling chatty that day. Uh, but going out and observing, that's when you notice that, oh, their feed is running out or they ran out of water or they're too hot or some one of the birds is unhealthy and needs to you know, be brought to your infirmary. Uh, you know, that's that those quiet times where you stop and take a minute to take it all in uh, is when you notice what's what's going well and what's going poorly. Mm. John, you decided that chickens were the right way to start a farm. Do you think they're right for the homesteader who's not yet doing meat but wants to? Do you think they're right for that person? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine what other direction you would go in. You know, it's more horrifying. I think you know, taking on rabbits for meat and uh, <laughs> with chickens. You know, if they escape, if you do, if you're you don't have adequate shelter for them and housing, and they escape it's much easier to track down a chicken. They go to sleep at night and you can, you can um, round them all up. Uh, a, you know, 1500 pound cow is a whole different story. The other thing about the meat birds is that even if you have a chicken ordinance in your area, they don't make any noise. And if you move them on grass uh, and around your lawn, they really don't smell either. So the smell is down. They don't make any noise. It's a very benign way to get started in raising your own meat. So you've been doing this. You've been doing this as long as me, but you've been doing it at a much bigger scale. And you've taken the time this this winter. You've compiled your records and you've put them into this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what I'm holding here, John, and then we'll dive in. So the what you have in your hands, uh, I just released, and it's the that's the workbook I wish I had when I got started. I don't want to sound too commercially for it, um, but I took the, I I took every single expense and every input that I had for raising broiler chickens and I really mapped it out and then did it in a way where you could find your own answers. So the pasture poultry packet is not to prove to you that broilers can be profitable because they're not always profitable in every single area for every single you know demographic, but it helps you decide for yourself whether it's something that you wanna do. And if you wanna do it, it doesn't make sense for you financially. So it's a way, it's a roadmap for you to find your own answers. And I give my answers along the way. So you have kind of a bearing on what it may or may not cost. I, I love the fact that 
you're not telling people this is how much it's going to cost you. Instead, you're trying to help them figure out what will it cost you because it'll be different. What you pay, you're paying in bulk, so you're getting a discount, but yeah. you're buying organic, so that's going to be more expensive. And someone might say, I don't need organic feed, but I'm only going to buy it per bag. So let's dive in. Let's talk about all the things <clears throat> that you're going to need. Where do we start? Here. John gave us a quick overview of the pastured poultry packet, how it's laid out and how to use it. And then we used this packet to start going through the actual costs that raising meat chickens are going to cost anybody. And accountant Mike, well, he started taking notes. Let's say somebody is at day one and they're trying to figure out, I want to try this. First question, they've never done it before. They've never done meat. What's your suggestion on scale? How many do you get your first order? You know, if you've raised uh, chickens before, if you're used to egg laying chickens, you can get 25 to 30 birds. It makes sense. It fits into a chicken tractor. It's efficient, uh, but you're not over the top. It's a number that you can process on a home scale uh, and still feel comfortable getting through all of it. If you've never raised any chickens before, like Austin, you know, he was comfortable with chickens, but he had never tried broilers. Starting yeah. with 10 is fine, but yeah. starting at, you know, that minimal viable level where you're not raising two because they like to be a flock, but maybe 10 to 50, 50 to 100 to start and then scaling up year to year as you get more comfortable. If you go too big too fast, you're going to make some critical mistakes and end up with a higher mortality and chickens dying not because you want them to, but because they found a way to prematurely is is sad and tragic and just kind of a waste of life and not the point of the point of the operation there. We, we've seen that happen a lot of times where you, we've seen this happen over the years. When you jump into a new animal and you get too many, you get overwhelmed and you make mistakes. So if you've never raised chickens and you want to try meat birds, start with less than 10. And even if you have raised chickens, if you're planning on butchering them yourself, butchering is a lot of work. So don't go over that magic number of 10 chickens. If you've had plenty of chickens and you know what to expect and you have a butcher lined up, well then by all means, go with John's higher numbers. Somewhere around 50, that's what we do every year. Uh, you're gonna need somewhere to raise them as their babies. Yeah, so you're gonna need brooder space. That's a, you know, it could be a corner of your garage, it can be an old shed, but there's, there's certain things that are critical to making a good brooder. Having it well ventilated, but not drafty, all, it sounds contradictory. You don't want ammonia or any of the, you know, the, the byproducts of the, the birds to kind of build up. You want fresh air quality, but you don't want drafts running across the birds, making them cold. You want it predator proof, not only to raccoons and dogs and, you know, neighborhood kids, uh, bears. But also, and bears, <laughs> you know, that's a thing. And, uh, but also rats, you know, rat has a collapsible skeleton and can fit through a hole the size of a quarter. Yeah. Account Mike's face is priceless right now. That's outrageous. Uh, a collapsible skeleton. Yeah. I mean, when you get into raising chickens, you learn not only everything there is to know about raising chickens because it becomes an obsession, but anything that touches the chickens or is interested in them. You know, there's a, one of my favorite phrases is that everything eats chicken <laughs> and it's true. Um, so good defense, you know, is a good offense. So you're going to need to buy your chickens. You need a good space to do all the brooding. Once the chickens get big enough to get out of the brooder and onto your property, then they need some kind of protective housing. And that's what John uses his chicken tractors for. So the chicken tractor, uh, total build out for building it minus your labor is about $165. Uh, for me, that was sourcing primarily everything from Home Depot. Uh, I got the wheels from Tractor Supply and the tarp from some random place online. I Googled, you know, what size tarp I needed. Um, but 165 bucks, so not expensive, but still, you know, a little bit of a chunk of change. Um, but I wanted it to last. And like I said, they have multiple uses. They can be adapted to egg layers. Um, but all that's rolled into that 165. And I, in that, I have custom feeders and waterers where I just took a five-gallon bucket and drilled the nipple drinkers on the bottom. And I, I, water, I fill that from a hose from the back of the tractor. And then the feeder on the inside is a piece of four-inch Schedule 40 PVC. I bought a 10 foot length, cut it in half to five feet, uh, cut a third of it out, rounded trough that uh, the birds don't spill feed out of because the, the top of it is rounded. Uh, so when they go to flick feed side to side, it just falls back into the feeder. Uh, and my 
you know, my feed waste is less. The nice thing about the infrastructure is once you've built it all or purchased it, you don't need to spend any more money. You can keep that for years and years and years. But there's one area that you'll continually spend money when raising meat chickens. That's on feed. Uh, so for feed, I use a local feed mill that's close by, which means the feed doesn't have to travel very far. Uh, because of the way I'm marketing my farm and my own ethics, I use uh, organic non-GMO feed. So my feed price is higher per pound. Uh, it's about 45 cents per pound. Cost me about 19 to $22 per 50 pound bag, depending on you know what time of the season and what the feed costs are. So the average chicken eats about 15 pounds of feed and at 45 cents per pound, uh, I think my cost came out to about $6, 675 Per bird. Uh, per bird. Right. Now, just for you to know, John does grass feed all his chickens. And by grass feed, I mean he puts them out on grass. But chickens can't grow to full size just eating grass and bugs. They do need feed supplement. Putting chickens on grass adds to the value of the meat. It adds to the quality. It actually adds to the nutrients that they get. So you're getting a better quality product. But you will still need grain. Speaking of pasture, we had a great question during the live event about how much pasture you would need from chickens. Uh, Brian Johnstone, uh, he asks, uh, how much room do you really want to have them roam? I'm assuming the more they roam and the more they may, the more they roam and move, there we go, they may become more muscular. Uh, so do you want them running around the grass? Do you try to keep them into the tractor? Have you ever seen a difference there? Yeah. So uh, that can come down to breed specificity as well, which breed you raise. So there's the the two main ones, the Cornish cross, which is a more productive breed. It's what, you know, Tyson raises in big barns. Uh, they're a faster growing, way less intelligent bird, and they're not as good at foraging. Now the certified humane standards are two square feet per bird. So my chicken tractors are 60 square feet. I fit about 30 birds in there. Uh, you can I've there that's a you know my my typical stocking density and they're moved every single day so they're getting two square feet per day for 35 days they're getting 70 square feet over the entirety of their life out on grass um, with those birds they love to eat they'll sit at the feeder and eat and then they'll go and eat some grass you can move them twice a day and give them more uh, more grass but as far as range on those birds the further you give them to range they're going to stay closer to the feeders and they're not going to range out and forage as much as say the red rangers are, which red rangers are the other type of bird that you typically raise for meat. They're better foragers, but they're going to give you a different meat quality. The Cornish cross has larger breasts, a little bit more uh, tender meat uh, and grows quicker. The red rangers, because they move more, has more dark meat. Uh, it's a little bit more chickeny in flavor, which I've come to love. And, um, but that you'll, you'll have feed costs are down a little bit because they're out foraging, they're going to eat more grass. So I actually manage them in a day range model where I put up electric netting and I open the door to the chicken tractor and I let them out inside that netting and, um, let them out for the day and then uh, have them, you know, shoo them in at night. Uh, so it can definitely affect meat quality depending on how much they roam, but that's, uh, something that's nuanced, uh, as you get a little further into raising chickens. We've always let our chicken, our meat birds, we've done the coop. We put them in the coop. We open the door. We let them run around the yard. And although there might be some difference, they've always been delicious. And that's what I've found with a lot of these things. If you just do what like you're saying, you get them on grass, give them a healthy life where they're on good quality grass, you don't have to worry about it too much because it all tastes delicious in the end. You can do better, but it's all going to be really, really good. The last major input that you have to pay attention to when deciding to raise meat chickens is the butchering. John now is at a point where he raises so many birds, he decides he's going to bring them to a butcher. And you might decide that too. We raise 50 every year, and now we bring them to a butcher. But it wasn't always this way. We still do 50 birds a year for our family, and we're able to do it ourselves over a weekend with a couple guys. But I'm going to be honest, it is a gruel. And I no longer do it. <laughs> uh, John, what about you? What numbers did you guys find you could process? Uh, when I was processing on farm, we did about 60 to 100 in a day with a, a group of anywhere from three to five of us, depending on who showed up that day. 
Um, we could do it. We could probably get that number a little bit better. Um, but yeah, maybe 50 to 60 in a day. If it's your first time processing, do two the first day and, you know, take a whole weekend or process two weekend one and the rest of them on weekend two. And for, for goodness sake, get yourself a plucker. Don't try to do it by hand. Uh, yeah. yeah. We use, this is a great resource. We use power plucker. Uh, it's a drill bit plucker. So if you can't afford one of those thousand dollar pluckers, uh, this thing, it's about $35. You put it on the end of a drill and you put it in a basin so you can contain the chicken. You spray the hose on that thing and you run it around. And for 36 bucks, it does a much better job than your fingers do. It's still a gruel. It's still a lot of work and it's not as nice as those Feathermans, but it's way cheaper for the homesteader out there. And uh, Power Plus. Stores nicer. Yeah. So check out Power Plucker. He's uh, he supported the show in the past, and Pioneers get a discount on the Power Plucker too. So there's a new section in the Pioneer Library, a discount section for all you Pioneers listening. Go ahead and hit up the discount section for your for your uh, discounts on all your equipment. So we had all our inputs, all the costs that we were going to be dealing with raising these meat birds, and we knew that in the end it would create a better tasting product, better quality product. Now it was time to get Accountant Mike to weigh in and see whether or not it was worth the time that we put into it and the effort and everything that goes with it to raise our own meat chickens. We're going to create a better tasting product, but what is it going to cost us to do this? What have you found over the years, John? What does this all add up to? For me, it all adds up to about uh, $14 to $15 per bird uh, when you factor in feed, labor, the baby chick, uh, everything out, grit. Um, and you know what, not the, not building the chicken tractor. We're not talking about all your infrastructure where like you've put time into your brooder. We're talking about what does it cost per chicken? If you were just to raise them in your already set up system. And for me, that's about 14 to 15 bucks. Now in my area, I'm paying more for feed. Uh, the cost of living is higher. My labor rates may be different than other areas. Uh, and as also for the marketing them and selling them, uh, I'm charging $6 a pound, uh, which I can get in my area. Uh, it gives me a decent margin on the bird. If I'm averaging a four to five pound uh, carcass weight, four pound carcass weight is $24, um, making $24 on a 14 to $15 bird. So Accountant Mike, you're over there. I see you're taking notes. I am. I've taken several notes, mostly Red Ranger. Going to look that up. Pretty sure that that was a Power Ranger. John seems to think it's a bird. I'll cross-check him on that one later. It may be both. Also, also yeah. grit. What what be this grit? Uh, chickens don't have teeth, which is oh. fascinating. So what chickens do, they, they'll swallow little rocks and pebbles and little pieces of sand, and it goes down into their gizzard, which is a very strong muscle as part of their digestive tract. And as they eat grass, as they eat corn and grain and anything else that they might find, bugs, uh, it goes down into the gizzard and mixes in with those rocks and there there it'll squeeze it and crush it like a little grindstone. And that's how they digest their, their teeth are little swallowed rocks. So for grit, um, the, there's a, a common, uh, kind of misconception that you're, if they're out on grass, they're going to scratch the ground and get rocks. But if you go out, especially in my property, uh, we're very silty. Um, and the soil is very fine and there's not a lot of small pebbles. So if we feed a little bit of extra supplemental grit, like a crushed marble, um, you know, then it, it comes sized differently for the age of the bird. It'll increase how efficiently the bird processes food. Uh, the feed conversion rate gets a lot better and you'll get more bird out of the same amount of food than if you didn't use grit. All right. One more question for you. Well, I can't promise that. Maybe I'll have more. So when you included your cost of labor, are you including, are like, are you calculating a cost for yourself or are you including actual, like you really paid someone cash to do this? Uh, I always calculate as if I have to pay somebody and I'm not going to be there. Okay. Uh, so I usually factor a labor rate of about $15 an hour. I would pay unskilled labor, maybe a little less than that skilled labor, a little bit more. Um, but to give me a labor estimate, I factor in how much my daily chores are, how much those special days of getting the chicks or setting up the brooder processing where they're longer than the daily chores add up the total hours expended for that batch of chickens and then 
you know, multiply that times my estimated labor cost. So at times my labor cost is estimated, but it gives me a good ballpark. Okay. So we're including, so you're including in your $14, $15 per bird, you're including an average amount of feed, you're including the grit, you're including an estimated amount of labor. Um, does this labor cost change at all if you scale this thing? Yeah, because you can raise more birds in a different size chicken tractor. You can raise less birds. Um, you, you know, at certain scales, there's things that you can do more efficiently. If you're putting in automatic waterers versus sitting there with a hose filling something up. So there's little things that you can do along the way, whether you're scaled up or down, you know, you can make your one chicken tractor at your homestead super efficient where you just mm -hmm. plug and play and it crawls along the ground by yourself. It all depends on if you have an engineering background uh, and how creative you want to be with raising your chicks. And that comes with, you know, just over time uh, getting better at what you're doing and knowing what to look for. Okay. I mean, like it really, I was expecting I was going to have a, be able to shoot a whole bunch of holes in this thing, but I don't actually think I can like you're that number is pretty decent. And if you're getting a four to five pound bird out of it, you said you're selling it for six pounds a bird. Yeah. Or $6 a pound. Yeah. Yeah. What did I say? Six yes. pounds a bird. We're good. Yeah, six <laughs> pounds a bird. That's a real thing, right? That's how you measure birds. Chickens. Six dollars per pound. Yeah. I mean, you're actually making, look at that. That's real kind of money on it, sort of. I mean, it's not the highest margin thing I've ever seen in my life, but you know, yeah. you're, you're positive and that's good. And uh, yeah, you, your chicken tractor only costs you 160 whatever per thing. That's not bad at all. Yeah, and if you, you make it out of solid materials and I use pressure treated lumber and uh -huh. you know you replace the tarp every once in a while but you'll get you know five years I haven't had to replace a single board uh, or piece of material on mine except for the tarps because the you know the wind wears them out over time that's About five great. years maybe I got another five years left so if you amortize it over 10 years that 165 dollars is yeah 1650 a year yeah so even if you do 10 of them it's still only 160 a year amortized yeah. out over 10. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so have you had any bears yet? <laughs> uh, we've had bears on farm, but not attacking the chickens. We've had just about everything else try to get into the chickens, but the bears, there's so much, uh, you know, just friendly neighborhood trash around for them to root into that they didn't care. <laughs> Dude, one of these days, a bear is going to come along and eat your chickens. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it sounds great. I wish I had, you know, more to... This will be the third episode on chickens. We've covered egg-laying chickens twice. Yeah. And Mountain Mike has shot down egg-laying chickens both times. Yes. And everyone in that box, you can go fight Accountant Mike later. I'll give you his email address. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, judging by reading your tone here, yeah, I see a different direction for the thumb with meat chickens. Yeah. I've done my homework. <laughs> yeah, John. I mean, uh, on the... I think if you're doing this on a really small scale, it gets a lot tougher. But if you're doing it on the sort of scale that John's doing, I definitely think this is totally a viable course for sure. Look at that. And by the by the way, uh, <laughs> a thousand chickens a year, about an hour a day. Okay. On typical chores. Okay. You know that's not too bad. Uh, so that that leaves me the rest of my day to do the rest of the things I need. There you have it, a historic moment on Homesteady. We were able to get accountant Mike, who experienced chickens, chicken-in-laws, through his parents, saw the ups and the downs firsthand, and was able to give it a thumbs up. Good work, John. If you can get a thumbs up out of accountant Mike for chickens, you can definitely get a thumbs up out of anyone else who is thinking about making the leap. If you want to check out the Pasture Poultry Packet, head over to thisishomesteady.com and you can check out this episode. We have a link to the Pasture Poultry Packet and to John's book where you can see and to John's book with chicken tractors. You can see his designs for the chicken tractors and take a look at the Pasture Poultry Packet. And again, if you're a Homesteady Pioneer, you get 10% off all those books. John has a great YouTube channel and podcast. Just search Farm Marketing Solutions You'll find it no matter where you go. I want to give a special thanks out to our uh, our fans over on YouTube, guys, for joining us. Uh, we have a really strong fan base there, and you guys have been great. I also want to give a special thanks out to Prepper Broadcasting because uh, this is really exciting to meet a whole new group of uh, homesteaders and uh, preppers and people who are thinking and working like us. 
Thanks for having us. And we'll try to get to as many questions as we can every week. We're going to do this every Tuesday night at nine o'clock. We'll have accountant Mike. And uh, John, you are our most frequent guest on the show. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> so I'm sure you'll be back soon enough. We can only hope. Pigs are next. <laughs> so check John out, Farm Marketing Solutions. And you can find everything we do. This is homesteady.com. We're going to close out the show now and spend a little time with our homesteady pioneers. After we closed down the live broadcast, we spent more time with just pioneers answering their questions with our special guest, John. And we're going to keep doing that, a way of saying thank you to the Homesteady Pioneers. So join us every week, Tuesday night at 10 Eastern for a Pioneers-only get-together with our guests to talk about the subject. And there's a new feature to the Pioneer Library. You'll notice it in the sidebar. It's a section called Pioneers Discounts. If you're thinking about getting started with Meatbirds, there's a ton of discounts. All of John's books, the Pastured Poultry Packet, the Chicken Tractor Plans. Farmer Brad is giving discounts on chicken waterers. He has automatic waterers with floats that automatically shut off. They're fantastic. And our friends at Power Plucker have a discount on all their chicken processing equipment. If you're a Homesteady Pioneer, your membership is paying for itself. Head on over to the discount section before you get your meat birds, and you'll save a ton of money. Our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Special thanks to our guests today, John from Farm Marketing Solutions. Of course, special thanks to Accountant Mike for joining us. There's a great podcast write-up back at thisishomesteady.com. Alexia, the suburban escapee, does a recap of the episode with all the links and everything you might be looking for, and she always adds a personal twist to the write-up. Don't miss her stories there. Homesteady is produced by myself, I'm Aust, and I'm Homesteady, and my wife Kay who handles editorial and correspondence. If you're homesteady, make sure to let us know. Hashtag all your social media posts. I am homesteady. And until next time, remember, the road is rocky. Make homesteady.